Hey, welcome to the Matt Watch That podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to review a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, I wanted to talk about my first episode, the pilot episode, if you will. I really wanted it to be good, and I think there are some uh, decent moments to it. I found it entertaining, it made me laugh a couple times, and I just wanted to make sure I wasn't putting something out there that was embarrassing, so I sent it to my friend. I wanted to get his opinion. I trust him. He'll tell me if I suck. So a couple days later, he got back to me. You know, a couple days later, because I'm his good friend, 20 minutes out of his life, but whatever. So he called me up and I said, what do you think? And he gave me some pretty good feedback. He was like, Matt, I think it's good, but you were a little stiff. And I responded back reasonably and maturely, yeah, well, you're ugly. And then I slammed down the phone. But anyway, if you did slog through the first episode and you're back for more, are you a masochist? What are you thinking? No, I I really appreciate it. The first episode, I wanted it to be as perfect as it could be. So I scripted most of it. And I had actually seen The Nice Guys about a month prior, and I didn't want to forget any details, so I wrote some things down and ended up scripting a lot more than I expected to. If I don't write something down right away, it goes out of my mind. I have the worst short-term memory. Long-term memory? Excellent. Short-term memory? Squirrel! So, in trying to make it perfect, I think it was a little too Mr. Roboto. I had done it three times by then, and I was like, this is what you got, people. It's free. But like the first episode of a television series, The Pilot, which I have no idea why they use that term, I probably should have looked it up, but most pilots are just okay. Yeah, they're entertaining, and sure, they're intriguing enough for you to want to see more. I mean, that's the point of a pilot episode, to sell you on the series. But if you go back and watch the very first episode of a series... I think it's rare to say that you had me at hello. A relationship with a TV series is built over time, over episodes, over seasons, and I think that clouds people's vision about how okay the first episodes were. I'm a huge X-Files fan, but if you go back to the pilot episode, it's, it's not great. It's definitely interesting, but it's just okay. It didn't even have the theme song, just the title on a black screen, The X-Files. It didn't have the typography either. It wasn't until the next episode that it got the X-Files look and feel, but there are some pilots out there that I just think are absolutely perfect. So I'm going to go through my top five. The first is Stranger Things. I know I referenced it twice in the first episode, and this will not be the last time I talk about it, but that to me is a perfect pilot. From the first 15-20 seconds, I was like, yep, I'm in, and I haven't been disappointed. Except for that episode in season two, but we're not going to talk about it. Another pilot that I thought was perfect was The Wonder Years. I will probably do a recommendation about that on another episode, but that series meant so much to me. 
another nostalgic show. It started in 1988, but it was portraying 1968, so it was a 20-year difference. But that pilot was amazing, and I have a lot of great memories with that show, and it's certainly my absolute favorite series ever. Home Improvement, I always thought had a great pilot. Now, I know it's kind of aged itself, and it's a little too masculine for these days, but it was a really funny pilot. I remember my parents' reaction when Tim Taylor got electrocuted. It was hysterics in my house. And I really do think that that show was consistently funny through most of the series. Um, I think I'm going to have to keep this at a top three, because I can't for the life of me think of any other series whose pilot I thought was so amazing. I'm sure they're out there, but they're not coming to my head. So we're going to leave it at that. You see, this is why I write things down. Now for the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is skip it. Two stars, watch at your own risk. Three stars, standard fare. Four stars, worth checking out. And five stars is must see. Now if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca or Jaws or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies and TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. I'll keep the spoilers to a minimum, tangents to a maximum. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie 500 Days of Summer from 2009, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe Deschanel, about a man reflecting on the time he spent with his kinda but not official girlfriend. It was directed by Mark Webb, who helmed Gifted and The Amazing Spider-Man. No, not the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans. Not the Tom Holland Spider-Man either. Yeah, the ones in the middle, those two. He also produced Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which seems apropos. The screenplay was co-written by Scott Newstander and Michael H. Weber, who also scribed The Fault in Our Stars, The Spectacular Now, and The Disaster Artist. It was produced by Fox Searchlight and opens with the familiar fanfare. Does Fox not have the best opening theme song? I think Universal comes close, but when you hear those snare drums, I mean, that's, that's just iconic. I'm not sure if I've ever seen a movie start off with an author's note before. We know we're not watching a documentary and assume the film is a work of fiction. It only seems prevalent for the cheap joke that follows. It garnered a snicker, but is it worth it? And why is 500 in parentheses? I failed every math class since elementary school, so I'm not familiar with all the functions. Is it supposed to mean approximate? I thought that was like the tilde sign. Not tilde, as in Swinton, though I'm sure she could play the part. Tilde. In Spanish, when you put it over an N, it gives the ñ sound, like mañana. It looks like an 8 cut diagonalized. It's the line that Matt Gates would walk if he were pulled over for a DUI. If it has no purpose and it's just for aesthetics, I hate it. Another thing I didn't like right off the bat was the usage of voiceover. I'm not a fan. They do it in a way that reminded me of the series Pushing Daisies, a great show by the way. But in a movie, it feels like a cheap way for a plot exposition. It didn't really add anything to the storyline. None of the details provided had much of an impact and could have easily been explained through actual scenes. Maybe it was done because it is an offbeat movie and gives it a once upon a time type feel. But there was a whole chunk of the movie where there wasn't any voiceover, and suddenly it came back, and I'm like, who the hell is talking right now? But anyway, we meet Tom, portrayed by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He studied to be an architect, but finds himself working at a greeting card company, outputting the good old standards, though he does have a knack for it. Summer, played by Zoe Deschanel, has just moved from Michigan and starts working at the same office, and Tom has an immediate infatuation. 
I've been a fan of both Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe Deschanel for a long time. I first saw Joseph in the Angels in the Outfield remake and episodes of Roseanne. He had a breakthrough with the role of Tommy in Third Rock from the Sun. Always loved his hair. I wanted that hair. But I was never able to get through those awkward stages of your hair when it grows out. It only took until now when I have hair just about as long as he had at 14. So I've reached my midlife crisis. I first saw Zoe Deschanel in a few episodes of Weeds. I think it was in season two and one episode of season three. She played Uncle Andy's girlfriend from Alaska. It was a similar free spirit type of role, but she was very memorable in it. Very pretty eyes. She knows how to play them up. Point is, I'm a fan of both, and I have no idea why I never saw this movie previously. The story isn't told linearly. It will jump from day 290 to day 88 and then back again. I think it keeps it a bit interesting, but it makes it difficult for me to talk about in a linear way. We find Tom with a bout of depression over his breakup with Summer. That isn't a spoiler, it happens pretty early in the movie. His friends call upon his 10 or 11 year old sister Rachel to help. She's played by Chloe Grace Moretz, known for Let Me In, Hugo, Kick-Ass. Normally, I'm not a fan of precocious kids that are wise beyond their years, but she plays the part of his sounding board and therapist really well. I immediately like their relationship. Back at the office, Tom and Summer find themselves in the same elevator. I've been in that situation where you want to talk with someone new, but you're not sure what to say or how to introduce yourself. But she overhears his iPod playing The Smiths and comments that she's a fan. If that were me, I would have proposed right away. From there, they have a few brief interactions in the office, including one where they share their high school nicknames, which is a huge laugh. There were some pretty funny lines throughout the film. But it wasn't until the company went to a karaoke bar that they shared their philosophies on dating and relationships, showing they are polar opposites. Unlike prior portrayals in romantic comedies, Tom is the one that believes in true love and fate, while Summer wants to keep things casual and not put a label on it. This is the crux of the entire movie. It's very subtle in this scene, but when Tom is performing karaoke, you can tell that Summer is starting to get interested in him just by her looks. She doesn't say a thing. It's all in her eyes. The scene is also very true to life because there's always one coworker who gets too drunk and embarrasses themselves. You're not out with friends, dude. Don't get hammered in front of your boss, okay? Word of advice. Now, I know this movie is supposed to be quirky, but you lose me at fantastical dance sequences. I'm a fan of Hall & Oates, but I can't tell you how much I dislike the song You Make My Dreams Come True. In Manhattan, I would pass by a gentleman's club called Private Eyes every time that song popped into my head. Never bothered me once. Maneater, oh, here it comes on my playlist. Your kiss is on my list. Put it on replay. I think it's the woo, hoo, hoo, hoo part that I hate. Who knows? Throughout the rest of the movie, we see the ups and downs of their quasi-relationship. But we know it's doomed from the beginning because they both want different things. It feels like Summer is playing games with Tom, but she was clear about her desire not to label their relationship. It feels like a realistic portrayal of some breakups. It doesn't end with a huge shouting match or explanation. Sometimes it ends without knowing why. It's frustrating for the person on the other end of that. People need closure to move on, and eventually Tom does get his. But you learn a lesson from each relationship that comes into your life. While heartbreak might sting for a while, it can motivate you to move on and forward, bringing your life in a different direction. No relationship is a throwaway. In the end, Tom is a better person because of his relationship with Summer. This concludes the Dear Abby portion of this podcast. 
I loved the soundtrack to this movie. Sweet Disposition by The Temper Trap was played on a loop on BBC Radio 1 and a few Australian stations I listened to online back in 2009-2010. Bookends by Simon and Garfunkel is a beautifully simple song. It was featured in the Bar Mitzvah episode of The Wonder Years, and this was quite effective as well. The score by Michael Dana and Rob Simonson was subtle and ambient in nature. It sounded like they used a quartet rather than a full orchestra in some pieces, which was the right choice. I Love Us is probably my favorite track. If you've ever been head over heels in love with someone who you know is going to break your heart, this is the movie for you. I think it couldn't decide if it wanted to be a quirky independent film or a modern mainstream romance movie. It accurately portrays relationships these days, but it's a little too offbeat for my tastes. I can see why it's gotten so many positive reviews, and in general, I did like it, but not love it. Kinda like how Summer felt about Tom. Ultimately, the movie comes down to Breaking Plates, The Smiths, Karaoke, Jobs, Playing House in Ikea, Ringo Starr, Lars from Norway, Expectation vs. Reality, and Penis. I give it 3.5 out of 5 stars. Add a half a star if you're a hopeless romantic, and another if you enjoy quirky films. If you've seen 500 Days of Summer and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. <laughs> Moving right along. Each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. I find animals fascinating. I'm not big on documentaries, but I'll watch hours of Planet Earth, Frozen Planet, Night on Earth, Oceans. Nature in its purest form is something to behold. There's no reasoning or logic, just instinct. Have you seen footage of a tiger attacking a herd of elephants? They run like hell. Well, I mean, as much as an elephant can run. I guess it's more plodding. But I've seen mothers abandon their calf like, It's survival of the fittest, son. That's today's life lesson. And as the baby elephant goes down, she thinks, I guess I'll have to make another one. But I've been watching a few zoo series on TV. There's The Zoo on Animal Planet about the caretakers at the Bronx Zoo in New York and a spinoff, The Zoo San Diego. Not to be confused with Secrets of the Zoo on Nat Geo about the Columbus Zoo in Ohio, which also has spinoffs Secrets of the Zoo Down Under and Secrets of the Zoo North Carolina. There are going to be more zoo franchises than there are in The Real Housewives. At least it's more interesting with less Botox though the rhino skin has gotten a lot smoother. I went to a zoo when I visited South Carolina and had a great time, but it could not have been up to code. We were able to get way too close to the animals, and they were using, like, soccer goal netting as separators. I would not be surprised to read of a mauling. But I was walking down a path at the other side of the park when a lion roared. We were nowhere near that area, and the sound made my insides vibrate. It was one time that I was legitimately scared. Sure, lions are majestic animals and beautiful creatures to look at, but they are also uber predators. If that dude could make my insides jiggle, imagine what one paw swipe could do. Hopefully it's a swipe right. Now I know I've watched a lot of animal clips on YouTube, and they use your search history to create an algorithm for the videos on your homepage, but there was no reason for this next video to appear on my screen. To my knowledge, I've never looked up Foxy Lady or Samantha Fox. But there it was, a video entitled, The Foxes That Say He He He. So I had to watch it. It was posted by Save a Fox Rescue, an organization who saves foxes from fur farms and takes them in from pet surrenders, and gives them a ton of space to roam free. 
Since they were born in captivity, they wouldn't be able to survive in the wild. I'm not associated with the organization, I have no knowledge of their inner workings, but they do post some neat videos, especially ones featuring Finnegan Fox. I'd never heard the noises a fox makes before, and it's hilarious. It's a mixture of, like, a hyena and a baby laugh. No one I've shown this video to has stared at it blankly. There's always been a smile. I ended up watching about 30 minutes of videos and looking up information on Wikipedia about foxes. I went down the spiral. I've posted two videos for your enjoyment of these fun furry foxes on the Matt Watch That playback playlist on YouTube. I guess we actually know now what the fox says. Badumts. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'll say it till it sticks. Today I'm talking about Santa Clarita Diet, starring Drew Barrymore and Timothy Oliphant. It's a comedy horror series about Sheila and Joel Hammond, a pair of real estate agents whose marriage is tested when she becomes undead and needs flesh to survive. They have a daughter named Abby, played by Australian Liv Hewson, who they attempt to shield from this new development. Her friend and neighbor Eric Bemis, portrayed by Skylar Gassando, rounds out the main cast. Nathan Fillion has a supporting role as Gary West, a co-worker of the Hammonds. I can't go into more detail about his character because it would spoil some things, but he's really funny in this role. Even though it's technically considered part horror, it's only graphic in nature. There aren't any scares or gratuitous killings, but when you're dealing with the undead, you can expect some body parts to be consumed, and they make sure it counts. The horror is always played with bits of comedy. The writing is clever with crisp dialogue. There aren't any traditional setups and punchlines, but the way the actors deliver their lines comes out very naturally and always funny. You do have to suspend your disbelief at some points, but you're also watching a show about the undead, so I think you've already committed. The episodes go by fast. It's a quick watch. I believe they're all 30 minutes each. Unfortunately, it was cancelled at a critical point where there was a lot of potential for further storylines, and it feels like a missed opportunity because it's so enjoyable watching the cast together. They had good chemistry and were all likable. Santa Clarita Diet went for three seasons, 30 episodes from 2017 to 2019. It's currently available on Netflix for streaming. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. I do plan on having an interactive element, but I need those listeners. So follow, subscribe, like, and spread the word. Until next time... I really do hope you're happy. The screenplay was written by Scott News. Oh boy. Santa Clarita Diet went for three seasons, 30 episodes from 2017 to 2018. That that math doesn't work. Summer, played by Doe Jet. I've posted two for your enjoyment of these furry foxy friends. That's not what I meant to say. <laughs>